us, you know? I, I, I'll just give you a, a, a five-second little, little piece of what I think, and that is I think a church that doesn't have our older folks who have been around a long time and who contribute, who have, who have lived life, that if you don't have those older folks around to, to kind of guide some of the younger people, you're missing something. And if you don't have those younger kids, you know, to kind of bring be that next generation to come up, man, you're missing something. And it's beautiful to see the gamut of what we have as we look around in our, in our church today. So uh, it's, it's a good thing. It's a God thing. Okay. Let's see if I can do this. All right. I would like anybody to hold this for me. Okay. <laughs> Let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Let's look at it in the New Living Translation. Same verses. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you did or what you've done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things He planned for us long ago. Now, as I was uh, preparing for this message, uh, I was looking at this scripture, and to me, I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you three parts to weightlifting. Weightlifting. I know you see it, don't you? You see it. Now, don't judge me, okay? I'll do that for you. You can go ahead and hit that next one. Yep. So, as uh, as you can see, uh, I I am a meager 150 pounds. Actually, I am 150 pounds now. It's taking me years to get there. And I had brothers that worked out all the time. And it was their thing. They, uh, you know, they would go down to the basement, and we had a bench and, and bars, and, and they would lift. And... But I, I never could wrap my head around it. I, just for me, the idea of sitting down there pushing metal in the air for no apparent reason, just I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So that's, uh, that's uh, where I stand on that. And I even took a weightlifting class in college, you know, an elective, you know, go down there and, and figure out what this thing was about. I dropped it after two weeks. So I was like, oh, I'm not taking this class. And my motto for most of my life has been just use leverage. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's uh. Leverage was a lot easier to come by than, you know, strength training for me. So, but anyway, still, despite all that, and obviously this kid is not me, um, still, we're going to see some basic principles. So here we go. 
The first thing you need to know about weightlifting is your stance. It is not recommended to try to lift weights on top of a ball like this guy is trying to do. When you approach the weights, you have to be intentional, right? You can't just walk up and, you know, kind of saunter up to it and, and try to lift. No, you got your feet spaced properly. You know, you're, you're thinking about your knees. You've got the mental game going, right? You've got to think about what you're going to do here. I would if I were wanting to lift that. And so we, we take those preparations. And likewise, in Ephesians uh, 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. How you approach a challenge is the same thing. Where are your feet planted? Where are your feet planted when you come up to a challenge? When I was younger and I was uh, raised in a church in Louisville, and uh, we had you know songs that we sang, and uh, obviously songs songs we sang, sung, sang, and uh, my English major wife is in the audience. Um, and uh, I can remember as a young kid the uh, these great baritones and tenors around me, and that we would sing this song. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Now that's a lot fuller in my head, because I can still remember all those, those great voices, but, but where are your feet planted? Are your feet planted on the rock of Jesus Christ when you approach a challenge? That is one of the first things that we need to think about. Where are your feet planted? You know, we don't stand on our own efforts. In, uh, in the book of John, down around chapter 21, Jesus has been crucified. He's come back, raised from the dead, and he's appeared to the disciples a couple of times. And... You know, they're, they're all kind of hanging around and, uh, and, and talking with each other. And, and Peter gets into one of his moods, right? Christ isn't there right now. So they're all just kind of, you know, yakking and eating and doing things that people do. And, and he says, you know what? I'm going fishing. It was something he knew. He said, I'm going to go fishing. And some of the other disciples went, yeah, man, me too. We'll go with you. So the five of them head on down. They jump in a boat, and they go fishing. They fish all night long. Now, these guys were professionals. This is what they did before Jesus had come walking along the shore of Galilee and said, hey, come and follow me. This is what they did for a living. They knew how to fish. They weren't novices. These guys were pros. And so they fish all night long, and they catch nothing. Been there. That's my life as a fisherman, catch nothing. So I don't blame Peter for wanting to go back there and, you know, try that, you know, try his hand at that again. So it's morning time, and they see someone walking along the shore. And he calls out, hey, 
did you catch anything? We've all done that, right? You're, you see some guy with a pole. Hey, are the fish biting? Hey, did you catch anything? And so this guy's on the shore. You know, they heard it all the time. Hey, did you catch anything? But you know what? If I'd asked him, I'd really want to know. I'd be like, hey, you know, did you catch anything? But this was Jesus. So let me point out that Jesus already knew that they didn't catch anything. He already knew this, guys. And so you might think it was maybe a little bit of a dig, you know. Hey, did you catch anything? Nah, you didn't, did you? <laughs> and so Peter says, nope, not a thing. So what is the right answer here? Calls back out from the shore. Hey, why don't you throw your net out on the other side? Brilliant plan. I mean, come on, really? Seriously, throw the net out? Like, oh yeah, they only go to the, the other side of the boat. They're not, I mean, come on, we're out in the middle of the water here. But look at Peter and, his, and the friends and see what they did. They went, all right. They take their nets and they go, you know what? Here's what I think is going on in Peter's head. I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. But just to prove you wrong, whoever you are walking along the shoreline, I'm going to do it. Okay. You know, smarty pants. I throw the net in on the other side. Bam! Net full of fish. Bam. That's right. <laughs> A net full of fish. Now, this isn't lost on Peter because by this time, this is actually the second time that they've had a big catch of fish. And Peter's going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I got this figured out. And he proclaims, it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water. Peter, <laughs> he's so impulsive. But he does. He jumps in the water. He's like, man, it's Jesus. And he goes, you know, swimming after him. And the other guys, they can't even bring the nets in. There's so many fish. It says they just drug the net along. <laughs> They're just like, you know, that's going to be a lot of cleaning fish. That's all I got to say. But, yeah, it, you know, he realized that it was the Lord. That all their effort, and how much did they catch? And as soon as Jesus arrives, man. So mentally, we also have to prepare, right? As part of our stance, we have, to pre we have to prepare mentally. And about that, I would just say, you know, Jay has been preaching for weeks how it's about God's grace. We're not earning. So as I come to this challenge, I don't, and I, I'm planting my feet on Christ the rock, if I start to think, I'm going to do this to make God happy, he's going to love me so much when I lift this, no, 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 hey, this ain't about working for God in this way, God's not looking at you that way, no, it is the grace of God, we are saved by God's grace, so many people will say, yes, I'm saved by grace, but then I have to do things to make him happy. Right? I could do things to keep him happy with me. My brother, my brother Tim, 
when he was living in Louisville, he was on pastoral staff at a church in, church there. And so that meant uh, periodically he would rotate through and he would preach. And uh, he would prepare, uh, get all his, um, you know, his outline and, and notes and collect stories and different things like that for, for his message. And then it would come Saturday and he would go over it and over it and over it and he would, he would keep his mind focused on his message and keep his thoughts pure so that, so that God would use him and so that the message would be powerful, right? Because it was up to him, because it was his work. That was going to mean the difference between a message meaning something to someone or the message not meaning something. That's what he thought. But he started to understand grace. I don't know. He might have had a younger brother. I'm just saying. I don't know that I can take credit, but I will. It's my message. He can preach whatever he wants in his message, all right? Okay. So he starts to understand, though, the grace of God and that it's by the power of God working through us. So he prepares his message. He goes over it. But he makes a change. And he says, you know what? I don't think it's about me. I don't think it's about how awesome I am or how happy I make God. So what does he do? He got invited to go over to a friend's house to watch some MMA. So on a Saturday night until about 1 o'clock in the morning, he's watching some down and dirty fighting, a little bit of grappling there, right? And he's, he's completely into it. Message, message is somewhere else, right? He is enjoying this, these fights. And you know what? It didn't matter. Because after he preached, he still had people come up to him and say, you know what, that really meant a lot to me. Because it was God working through him. So we, we plant our feet and we prepare mentally. This isn't about me working. Because God has already given me his grace, right? And he's going to come alongside me. He is here to, he's going to help me. Amen? Amen? The second thing you need to remember when weightlifting, your stance and your grip. Oh, yeah. Any lifter will tell you that your grip on the bar can make or break your lift, right? Make or break it. You have to have a good grip. Don't want to be too loose. Definitely don't want sweaty hands. You might drop the bar on your head. This, I understand, is not a good thing. So, uh, in Ephesians 2, um, 8, it is a gift. 10, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. Right? You have to have a grip on who you are in Christ. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
So again, we realize that God is the one who gives us the strength to face these challenges. And it's through Him and for God's glory. And as it says in 1 Peter 4.11, it says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ, through Jesus Christ, to whom belong all the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we hold on to the fact that we are Christ's workmanship. It is easy to lose your grip when you feel worthless, right? When you feel like you're not good enough. You know, we've got so many influences in the world that tell us uh, what it takes to be a winner, what it takes to be successful. You know, the right clothes, the right makeup, the right look, the right body. Right? But the Bible says that you are valuable. You already are valuable. So we don't need to back down when we're faced with challenges in life. We need to remember our stance and get a firm grip. All right? So, up to now, in our weightlifting, we have, we've got our stance, this is all good, we got our grip, right, but I can walk away and I'm unchanged, right? But at this point, we have the execution. Now is when we do it. Now is when we lift. And once you begin your lift, you're committed to it. Right? You are committed. Ephesians 2.10 again. For we are His workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has done so much for us. It is, he has given his son for us, given us his grace to see you in light of his son, and then said, you know what? I have created good things for you to do. And he's given to them, given those things to us in, in dreams and passions and and in the things that, that God puts before you to do, right? Good works. So you were made to do this. Now, if I came up to this barbell, which actually this is a dumbbell. I do know the difference. I just so happens that I don't have a barbell in my house. <laughs> So imagine this much bigger, because imagine is all I could do if I was going to lift it. <laughs> uh, so, if I came up to this, and I knew that I was made for this, 
Would that make a difference? That'd make a huge difference if I knew, man, I am made to do this. So, I will overcome the silly little thing because I was made to do it. The, the phrase, good works, appears 25 times in the New Testament. So, you think it means something? I think it does, man. I think the point was trying to come across that, you know, maybe we actually have, can be effective in this world and do things in this world. Yeah? Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. He neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. No offense. And the young man shall utterly fail. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, what I was saying earlier about having the older generation in our church as a sign and as a, a testimony of having run and not being weary, of walking and not fainting. Right? They have trusted God and trusted God and lived it out for not only a year or two, but for decades in many cases, right? So as we're younger and we go, well, how long does this thing last? How long can God's work in my life last? I would, ask, I would encourage you to look around to see that it lasts your whole life. So I have an actual fact for you that when we are challenged, we grow. One of the reasons I'm still 150 pounds <laughs> is because I, didn't, I walked away from the challenge of one of these uh, barbell, dumbbell things. Yeah? When you take the challenge, you grow. I'd like to introduce you to a couple of guys. This is a couple of twins, Alex and Brett Harris. Now, we've been talking about weightlifting as sort of a metaphor of taking on challenges. But you figured that out, haven't you? So these guys, uh, Alex and Brett, at age 16... They started a website 
called the Revolution. And it was sort of a rebellion revolution, right? A revolution of for teenage people to set higher standards for themselves, to expect more for themselves. At age 17, these guys were invited to take on an internship at the Alabama Supreme Court. So they were interns at the Supreme Court for the state of Alabama at age 17. They were the youngest to ever intern on Al- and in Alabama record, right? They, uh, they started just doing, you know, clerical stuff, checking for spelling errors and memos and things like that. But then it, the longer they were there, because of their dedication, because of their willingness to stand firm, to get a grip, and to execute that challenge that was in front of them, it got to the point where they were not only writing memos, these guys were actually writing paragraphs of legislation and writing memos to other justices. The justice that they worked for was so impressed. He had seldom seen any intern progress that far, much less one this young. At age 18, these guys wrote a book, Do Hard Things. See? Real book. Do Hard Things, a teenage rebellion against low expectations. And in this book, they talk about, uh, you know, the way that uh, they talk about how when they were kids, they dreamed of having an elephant as a pet. Because then, you know, when somebody came to the play yard and said, yeah, man, we just got a dog. They go, oh, yeah, well, we have an elephant. And I bet my pet could sit on your pet. Right? But then they found out something in through reading about, about elephants, because they were worried. You know, elephants are so strong. These things are used to, to pull logs and, tr- and trees out of the ground. And, uh, you know, just they're incredibly strong. They're incredibly big. And so they worried about, man, if we had an elephant as a pet, that'd be crazy. What if it wanted to, like, leave? You wouldn't be able to stop it. After doing some more reading, they realized that actually elephant owners in countries that use elephants for labor, they don't really have that issue. Because at an early age, they will chain the back leg to a very firm planted log, right? A very firm foundation so that the elephant, as it pulls, as just a young elephant, it can't move. 
By the time that elephant comes of age, all they need is a rope and a little stick stuck in the ground. That's all they need because the chain is no longer around the elephant's leg. The chain is around its mind. And it just feels that little tug and goes, I can't, I can't go anywhere. And they challenge youth in this book. And so we take the challenge as well to stop expecting so little from ourselves. And I was excited to hear that this is, sounds like this is kind of, this was definitely the word that came this morning, Jay, that you gave about low expectations and the direction that I think the youth are going to hear at camp. So awesome that we're all kind of getting this at the same time because God just works that way. He's kind of cool how he does that. So at 18, they wrote this book, Do Hard Things, and then they went on a tour. They toured the country, speaking engagements, telling people about the book, encouraging youth to take on challenges. They were asked to come back to the Indiana, or excuse me, the Alabama. I'm in Indiana. They're in Alabama. They were asked to come back to the Alabama state uh, legislature, state supreme court, to run a grassroots campaign. For four of the justices wanted these two guys to head up their campaign, their grassroots campaign. And so they did. And they determined that if they, being teenagers, could head up this campaign, then they would call on other teenagers to help run the campaign. And so they called teens from all over the state to make phone calls, to contact people, to, to be able to get the message out for these candidates they ran a whole campaign for four. That blows my mind. Just blows my mind. At 18 years old. Because they stepped up to the challenge. Right? They got a grip on who they were in Christ. And they executed You know, only a hundred years ago, if you were a teenager, say 15, 16, you might be an inventor or the captain of a ship or a scientist beginning experiments. How's that? That's something to think about. So I would say to the teenagers, and I would say to us, that if we want to rebel and we want to go crazy, how about rebelling against mediocrity? Here is a uh, here's another hardworking fella. It's a salmon. It's a salmon. 
And we all know salmon swim upstream. It's a little crazy. It's kind of cool. And um, it is amazing the feet, the feats that these fish manage. And perhaps we've all seen, you know, videos, National Geographic, whatnot, of these things jumping up waterfalls to get to to get to their breeding grounds, to get upstream. They take on, well, they don't take on, but they pass through bear territory, they pass through fishermen, they pass through all kinds of obstacles to get upstream. Steph and I were praying one time, and she had a, a vision of salmon. And, and in this vision, the Lord was telling her that the salmon swims upstream because I made him to do it. Not only does he survive this way, but he thrives and feels alive. He enjoys swimming this way. And I place this drive within him. And we see it. It's evident that God made this fish to do this amazing thing. Here's another couple of hard-working people. Bleep. I think you'll recognize them. You know, it's easy to come to church week after week, hear Jay preach about God's goodness and His grace. And indeed, God does give that to us. But they have learned to continue to rest in God while they're running. That ain't easy. They've been telling us for weeks about the rest in God, right? Resting, that our soul can be at peace. But you can rest while running. You know, for a runner, for someone who who runs a lot, you know, your body has this wonderful way of adapting to the fact that you're running. And you can take on runs after a, after a period of time. You're just taking on runs, and it feels good. You're enjoying it. It's not like that first mile that you ran. <laughs> and you're running five miles and ten miles, and it's just a stroll. Because you took the challenge and you grow in that challenge. And so they're running and resting. And they know who they are in Christ. And that God does not love them any more or less than the first day they accepted Him. It doesn't change. So it isn't about making God love them more. And so that's why they spend the hours preparing their sermons and preparing the music and getting ready. They know it's not about that. But they're growing by their stance and their grip and execution. Yeah? 
And I know today that many of you have dreams. You have goals. Something that's in your heart that you want to be, that you want to attain. And it's a challenge in front of you. And up till now, something's been missing. Something's been missing and it just hasn't clicked. And maybe you're just waiting for things just sort of happen for you. But I would encourage you today to take your stance on Christ. To get your grip on who you are and execute. Because you have God-given ideas. So in the challenges that you're facing, I want to invite you to trust in God's grace as you find your stance, get your grip, and execute the good works that He has called you to. Because God is there to be your weight lifter. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we just thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you for how much you have given us and all that you do in our lives. And we thank you, Father, that you are our weight lifter. You are the one who gives us the strength. You are that firm rock that we stand on. That our our identity, who we are, comes from you. And the ability to do these things, God, that you give us the strength. You are the one who leads us and guides us in that. And so, Lord, we just thank you that you would just place that, that word in our heart. We thank you for your goodness, God. And we ask that you would bless this, this group of people. We thank you, Father, for putting this in their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.